Yo, what's going on? It's your boy Kaz once again for the Say Less Podcast. And I apologize for sounding like a member of the Yin Yang Twins, but I lost my voice. Don't ask how I did that. <laughs> but welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for subscribing through iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, Podbay, literally anywhere you can get podcasts. You type in my name, Say Less with Kaz, and you get right in that shit. Also, obviously, and you'll probably want to do this for this type of episode, uh, if you want to watch the podcast in all its glory, go to youtube.com slash Kazim. Every episode in its full, unedited entirety is up there as soon as it goes live on uh, every podcast stream. So today's episode features an NBA legend um, an all two time all star, uh, one of the we believe warriors, the, the the man who spearheaded that entire incredible run from the Golden State Warriors back in 07. Um, and one of the greatest point guards to ever play the game, uh, especially coming out of UCLA. And that doesn't even scratch the surface of his uh, accomplishments just in life. I mean, when it comes to entrepreneurship, being an early investor in vitamin water, uh, when it comes to being a part of the Screen Actors Guild and being in movies and producing shows and producing films and doing all this stuff, Baron Davis is truly a one-of-a-kind person. Um, we talk about everything. It's a great one-hour conversation about his life, um, the game, players he loves to watch, those We Believe Warriors, just the Hollywood hustle, being in the Bay, everything, man. If you want to get into the game, this is a guy that you absolutely need to listen to, watch his moves. He is a, a brand upon himself, and he's been absolutely smoking it and killing it ever since uh, retirement. So, Get into this interview with B. Diddy, who was also his birthday two days ago. So happy birthday to him. And uh, just having the opportunity to talk to my mans uh, throughout this uh, throughout this crazy time that we're living in was uh, really dope. And it was great to connect with him once again. So uh, with all that being said, Emilio, hit the motherfucking music. B. Diddy, Baron Davis, how you doing, Chief? What's up, Cass? What's happening, my G? I'm living, man. I'm living. So, I mean, obviously, you know, doing the best I can given the circumstances in the world, you know. So, uh, obviously, first question I want to ask you is, you know, how how's family? How's everything been holding up for you with this whole, you know, social distancing quarantine thing going on? Oh, that's cool, man. You know, just more time with family, more time to connect, more time to, like, do some soul searching. You know, our kids are good. Kids getting more and more creative by the day. So, uh, you know, I think that's the most important thing. Um, is like this is a great opportunity for me to not travel and to be around my kids, be around my family, uh, things like that. That's good to hear, man. And more important than that, yesterday was your birthday. So happy yeah, birthday yeah. to you as well. Yeah. No, so how, how, was, how was the birthday like, man? What you end up doing? Birthday, I know, man. I got this uh-huh. home man with my homeboys, my family, my mom, you know, just a bunch of family members just zooming in. You know, that was cool because it was a chance everybody get to see each other. Um, usually we have big gatherings and things like that, but, you know, it was equally the same. Uh, I got the DJ for everybody without being <laughs> interrupted. You know what I mean? Uh you spin. Yeah, yeah. So I was spinning for everybody. And that was the first time I could actually get through a party without, you know, my mom or somebody asked me to go do something for him. So <laughs> I kind of like that. I may start making all my birthday parties. Uh, so, parties. so question, do you do, are you a laptop DJ? Do you got the vinyls? Do you got the CD? I'm laptop. I'm laptop. Laptop? Ain't nothing wrong with that. Ain't no, I ain't that deep in it. I'm just playing records. <laughs> I'm just playing records. I ain't like, you know, no real DJ, DJ. Hey, man. As long as you can rock a party, man. though. You know what I mean? As long as you can rock a party. Hell, yeah. Playlist, I can rock a party. 
right, so I mean, I know you a Cali dude, so like, what's your go to record? You keep a real West Coast, man, you keep a real right. Bay Area. I, 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 I got sense, man. I got a West Coast, you know, I got a rap vibe, a real rap vibe, like a sit down and like, okay, we listening to some real rap. I got the party vibe, I got the young vibe, old school, <laughs> RB, whatever you need, you know what I mean? It's uh. <laughs> no, that's just, <laughs> I gotta come to your party, man. I gotta, I gotta come to a spot once this is all, all done and, and settled. I gotta go to my bombs. Only drop bombs. Only drop bombs. No time for no shucking and jiving. Everything is a bomb. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, that's right. No, that's right. Um, I saw you on Twitter the other day, and uh, we were watching the uh, the, the the horse uh, tournament they're doing for the NBA. And uh, you know, you uh, one question I'd love to ask you. Uh, it's kind of two parter. One, have you gotten to hoop? And uh, two, I know you noticed about. Um, you said you wish that this tournament was like on Twitch or something or somewhere where it'd be a lot more feasible for people to kind of like get into it and, and really enjoy it. What were your thoughts on the horse competition with the NBA? I thought it was great. Uh, I thought it was a great idea. Um, you know, I, uh, I mean, if I was producing it, I would have done it differently, <laughs> uh, make it more TV friendly. Um, you know, uh, the reason why I said I felt like it should be on Twitch is like I felt like it should have been aired where people are, you know, like where this new audience is like finding cool things, right? And so sometimes you can like overskip the the cool and immediately um, go commercial, right? You know what I mean? And so when you do that, you kind of miss out on. Um, the opportunity to to feed the culture and feed the people that are there. You know what I mean? Um, when you look at like if 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 Timberland and Swiss Beats right did a beat battle on Instagram, then the next one they did on TV, and every other one was on TV. You know what I mean? It wouldn't sound the same, right? Right. You wouldn't have the same vibe, right? It takes away kind of the yeah, because yeah, your TV is not supposed to like give you that, right? <laughs> You're not supposed to be like watching like you know a live feed, a live stream feed from somebody's iPad in their background in their backyard, <laughs> right? Right. On television, you should not be doing that if you are. It's tough to digest, you know what I mean? Whereas digital, I think that audience has a lot more patience. Um, and, you know, I would say it's a it's a broader audience, it, but it's sometimes harder to penetrate. But I would have loved to find it on digital and, you know, kind of like not waste my TV time. Not waste my TV time, but like have that on TV where I really couldn't like hear it, connect with it. You know what I mean? I feel like... Mm-hmm. It was a more intimate thing if it was on my iPad or on my phone and it was a part of like my second second screen experience. Um, but I think the idea was great. Uh, and, you know, shout out to the NBA for, you know, still being able to do stuff. And, you know, I thought it was a great idea. I just think that, you know, a lot of times when we're creating platforms, certain content needs to exist on certain platforms. Now, you know, everybody, you know, obviously knows you for your hoop exploits, but you just mentioned it. You know, you're somebody who's very into producing content, whether it's film, TV, digital, uh, investing in a lot of uh, brands and opportunities, social media stars like uh, BDOT from, you know, who was on uh, What the F. Baron Davis. Um, so as somebody who was in front of the camera as an athlete and now, you know, creating and behind the camera for a lot of that type of stuff. How do you kind of in, in, in take content now? Like, do you watch it with the sort of critical lens of, okay, this is what I can do to produce, or maybe like, this is something I could take from that, or I could do this better. How do you like kind of consume content now, knowing that you're on the other side of the lens and you've been successful uh, at it for so long? Well, one, I always appreciate, you know, every, every, every and all content pretty much is put out there. Uh, because it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of communication and execution to pull it off. So it's always like, you know, like 
humbly kind of diving into it and uh, trying to be uh, as open as possible. You know what I mean? Like, so not expect, really not expect anything, you know, and then from that, just take it as a learning experience and say, all right, this is a part of my film class. This is a part of my, you know, TV and production class. And so I go back or watch some, a series or something. I give a report on it. You know what I mean? Because I think it ultimately is going to help me. And what I want to build with Slick is pick out the right shows for our audience and make sure that the right people are creating the right shows on the right platforms for the right audience. So tell me about Slick. I know it's uh, you launched it pretty recently, and uh, it stands for Sports Lifestyle and Culture. Um, you know, tell me about uh, the genesis of that and, you know, what you're bringing to the table with this company that a lot of companies you may may not be bringing to it. What does the Baron Davis lens on production and creating content uh, differ from other places? Well, I think it's more so like um, it's it's the I and slick, like mm. the end, the end, the inclusiveness, the insider, the insider, right? Um, it's the innovation, right? And talking about like being inside of culture, right? That right. means you got to go a little bit deeper. You know what I mean? That means it's like I'd rather, you know, produce um, documentaries and formats and things like that that are going to be culturally relevant and things that we could always, like, duplicate and stand the test of time, right? And so really just kind of, like, understanding where – what, how, what, and how we consume the way we consume it. And then looking at, you know, what's out there and say, all right, well, how can we do, you know, um, you know, what is our version of a 30 for 30 look like, right? We're not ESPN. So, you know, we want to do something a little different, right? So our tone may be a little different. We want to go more high school, you know, more LA high school first and then start to expand, to other, you know, high school docs and things like that. So it's, it's really, and then it's also giving the insider, right. The opportunity to tell the story from their perspective. Like, when do you ever, you know, when do you ever see a documentary that is told by like, uh, an athlete's peers, more so sports writers, you know what I mean? Or sports reporters, right. Um, it's like the people who know you the least, right, right. are yeah. all a part of, like, your life story and your documentary and telling people, like, who and what you are. I think in some cases it, it, it's relevant because, um, you know, the media and, and, and sports reporters and sports writers play such an integral part in uh, writing the narrative, you know what I mean? But as far as, like, they can't capture everyone uh, who was somebody or everybody that was a brand. And so for us, we want to be able to um, honor the legends, give them a place to exist, right? And a place where legends continue to live. So we have a lot of legends in sports, we have a lot of legends in culture, right? That don't get their, their roses or their just due. And so for us, we're like, yo, if we can partner with them and tell their story from their perspective, which we all want to do, then uh, that's what Slick is a platform for. So, I mean, you come from a, a very distinct perspective when it comes to telling athlete stories because you were that guy. You were, you know, Mr. Basketball in Los Angeles. You went to UCLA. You balled out in the NBA, came to Golden State. So I could see why, you know, the the film and production lane could kind of like come from being in L.A. But you base this company out of the Bay Area and the technology hub of the, the world right now. Um, it was, was that purposefully done? Like, were you trying to move yourself out of LA so it could be like, okay, no. I don't want people just looking at me as like, Oh, this is Baron Davis, UCLA icon. No, this is Baron Davis. Like, you know, the guy who knows that everything's moving digital, everything's moving tech. And I got to be in the city that produces the, the top tier of that. Not at all. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I would say it's the exact opposite. You know, I love the Bay Area. I live in I live in the Bay. It's like a second home to me. Yeah. Um, but 
you know, I kind of saw this wave happening in L.A. And I would say for me is to stand up and say, yo, L.A. has talent. Uh, there's a great opportunity for, you know, uh, engineers, entrepreneurs to come here and create uh, just as much as it is a place for people to be in Hollywood. And so for me, where I'm at, um, being in tech, being in media, you know, L.A. is a perfect place for me because I think that's where we're able to kind of build these inroads from media to technology to consumer, right, to the right audience that will allow us to really, like, highlight the people that we should, highlight the people that we haven't heard of, um, and really, like, give some cool backstory and some cool information about stories and situations that are from, you know, from from the person or the people that were really involved. So uh, being in the Bay Area, I think, for me, is really about building that bridge for, you know, the Bay and L.A. as far as media, storytelling, and, and technology. And, you know, a lot of my time is spent up there because a lot of my friends are there. Uh, a lot of the things that I learned, uh, a lot of my mentors. And so uh, for me, it's about really just having a presence there uh, because it is a home and it's a place where, you know, I, I kind of do uh, a lot of my sit back thinking, plotting, strategy, things like that. Gotcha. Now, uh, WTF Baron Davis was, you know, on Hulu, on Fuse, uh, B Dot, who's a guy we, you know, everybody follows on Instagram, follows yeah. super funny. Uh, great show that was out there. Uh, we're waiting for season two. Um, was that sort of the, the, the direction you were trying to go as far as like finding those athletes and finding those people that may not necessarily be people in the NBA, might not necessarily be like the high school stars, but like those are people in the culture. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you, you yeah. yeah, I think the goal of that show was to create um, a, you know, a more urban version of uh, Kirby Enthusiasm. Right. And but to but to create it as a, you know, for a digital premium audience. So people like, you know, going to B-Dot first and it was just like B-Dot, you should be active, man. You could be you can be a star. You know what I mean? And I start I started with B-Dot and then I just kind of like start basing the characters in the show around, you know, like what our relationship would be. Um, and then I just start finding dudes on the Internet that I like. Uh, you know, a couple of guys through auditions. We changed some roles to fit some people. And, you know, I think the beauty of the show was the fact that, you know, we showed that we can do high quality content with people who haven't been given a chance. So if you give if you give the right people a chance, right, you'll, you can come out with something that, you know, no matter what uh, television says, like, you know, everybody is expecting a season two and wants a season two. So that just increased our chances for that. And when we're out pitching now for season two of the networks, you know, we can look at our, our Instagram and look at, look at our Facebook and YouTube and all that. And you can see the comments and, you know, that this is something that the culture wants. And it's just a matter of who's going to promote it and get it out there. And so the reason why we built Slick was, to be able to do more and more things like, you know, WTF where we can take influencers, athletes, you know, now, you know, I got dudes like Jeff Green hit me. Uh, I got a role for him in my next episode. I got a role nice. for <laughs> uh, I got roles for D Wade. I got a role for, uh, uh, for uh, Steph Curry and his wife. You know what I mean? I just be like sitting back, just coming up with, fun and funny episodes. So, you know, it, it, it's good to get the type of response and the love. Um, but then it's also good to like make fun of yourself and have, have a show where athletes can come on and like play themselves with play a version of themselves that, you know, uh, people could fall in love with. Awesome. And, and I'm a big fan of the show, bro. So I really hope it gets that season two, man. Thank you. Uh, dude. So I got the black Santa hoodie. You know what I mean? Like, I was wearing it around town. Everybody yeah. was asking me about it, you know, because I, I, was, I was living in Harlem at the time. Like him. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I kind of look like dudes. So like, yo, was that you? I'm like, nah. But it's funny because the dude who, anyway, you know what, they know what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah. 
Uh, let's talk about Black Santa, man. Uh, okay. the, the, the tagline is, we need heroes. So, um, you know, I would love for you to just kind of expand upon it, and especially, you know, uh, you know, young Black children that don't necessarily see these traditionally, uh, um, you know, iconic, you know, I don't want to say fictional characters, but like these, these heroes that they grow up with, they never really look like us. Right. right. But um, I would just love to hear your point of view on uh, the black Santa project and, you know, going three to four years in uh, what we could see from the future of that. Uh, no, I, I would say it's, it's been a humbling experience. That was my first step in really being a creative entrepreneur. And, you know, my first step was like, you know, what can I, give to the culture what can i contribute that could have long-standing power and be you know more important than it is um something that benefits me and so when thinking of black santa it was like yeah we don't have a black santa claus so i created nick nicholson um and basically created his backstory of how he became the how, how he became a santa and, you know, I just start working on it, telling this narrative, like entertaining myself, trying to develop it as an origin story first. So I didn't have, you know, I didn't want to write it down so somebody can read it, steal the idea and go take it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just kind of like really understanding our roots and how, you know, a lot of our history, you know, dating back to Africa was, you know, through communications and through certain orators and gatekeepers. And so... For me, it was like I wanted to build that origin story exactly like that and be able to only tell it to people, right, uh, until the brand was complete. And as we start to work on the logo, work on the character, you know, you just start falling in love with the fact that, you know, uh, I've never seen a black man that when I look at him, I feel good. I feel jolly. I feel, like, comfortable. I feel like I can give him a hug. I know that he's on time. You know what I mean? I know he has gifts. And I was like, dude, and right, I'm just, you just start, you start laughing when you see, like, when you realize, like, there is no person of any sort of any story in our history that it, that is made up of that, <clears throat> right? And right. when, you know, you're out, when I was out kind of pitching the idea, you know, people were telling me, like, well, you know, what's his origin story? And I was like, well, what's the origin story of Santa Claus? <laughs> Same thing. Right? There's <laughs> not right? You know, Coca-Cola thought it was a good idea to trademark, you know what I mean? Uh, a brand, you know, I think it was Coke. thought it was a good idea to create, you know, Pepsi. fictitious character, Pepsi, right? <laughs> create a fictitious p- character, and now this person you know, is now responsible for, you know, our entire holidays. And, you know, I watch, you know, my mom, I watch my grandparents, I watch cousins, aunties, and people like that, birthday next at Christmas, you know what I mean? And sometimes not have um, an opportunity to provide for the kids for Christmas, and you don't know what to tell them. And as a kid who didn't have nothing and was underprivileged, right? Uh, it's not that I didn't lack, you know what I'm saying? But you just feel like, well, Santa Claus ain't coming to the ghetto, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> or Santa Claus ain't flying over my apartment building, or Santa Claus ain't flying to the projects, you know what I mean? Ain't so, no chimneys in the hood. <laughs> and so for me, it was like, well, shit, Santa Claus should, right? And why should it just be one Santa Claus? It should be uh, a whole team of Santas. It should be a league of Santas, right? It should be Christmas should be so big around the world that there's no way just one jolly guy can just, you know, do that, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just started thinking about, you know, Black Santa being the first, then thinking about the league of Santas and how he was going to be the Santa Claus that really was like, you know, uh, the guy who sat at the table and brought everybody together, right? Mm-hmm. And just showing how, you know, we uh, accept people into our culture, right? Uh, and a lot of times uh, we're very, like, forgiving and understanding. and Almost too forgiving sometimes. Express, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and wanting to express ourselves. And so it was like, 
why can't we do this in a place and in a, in a position that we've never uh, really seen? And so when you start thinking about that impact on, you know, uh, the five-year-old cast, right? The four-year-old cast, the four-year-old BD. Yeah. And it's like, oh shit, I'm waking up and I can like be happy, go lucky and not think that I'm going to be like, considered a buster or you know what I mean? So right. wrong with me. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. Or, yeah. Even, or even to have a Santa Claus, right? To have somebody to be like, yo, I can relate to that. Like I can do good for that. Like something that was, you know, was in your house that looked like you, that felt like you, you know what I mean? And it's nothing, it's nothing wrong with it. You know, it's nothing wrong with creating opportunities, character stories, things like that, that make you love yourself and make you understand yourself better. Because for me, that's what Walt Disney did. You know what I mean? And, you know, when he thought about it, he, he tried to include everyone in the world and tell a story about, you know, where everyone was. And I think that, you know, when you think about where the world was and what he was trying to do, right, he was trying to like include everybody and break down stereotypes. You know what I mean? And I think that as we continue to go, we have to like really dig a little deeper. Right. And it's not that it's not that deep. Right. We just have to be able to um, accept all forms of art. Right. Accept ourselves, support ourselves, love ourselves, find stories, find things that can represent us that, you know, can tie into the things that we love to do as a community and as a culture. And so for me, that's like how I build, how I create is like, what is the overall message? If it's a, you know, a character like black Santa is like, you know, giving has no season, right? That's our slogan. Uh, Bless someone. That's our slogan. Right. And, you know, black Santa, his, his whole thing was as he was studying, become a Santa Claus, he was like studying so hard that he fell asleep. He started <laughs> studying the naughty list. And he realized that, wow, there's a lot of kids on this naughty list. And so when he went to check the naughty list, he saw he, you know, he was just checking a kid's name and he started di- doing some research, right? And the more research he did, he realized that the kid wasn't actually naughty, right? the kid was just ha- was developed into some rough circumstances. And so Nick Nicholson decided that the naughty list really like don't have real measurable, you know what I mean? Causes or real measurable data to tell if a kid is naughty or nice. And so that goes back to the four-year-old cast. I mean, I don't know how you grew up, but the four-year-old BD, Right, that when you couldn't get a Christmas present, it was like that's because you was bad. It was bad, but and it was like I'm not, not really a good kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all kids are bad. You don't get ass kid, right? though. All kids are good kids, but if you don't have nobody like thinking about bringing you gifts or thinking about like the spirit of what they want you to be in, it don't matter where you know it's religious or anything. It's just really about art and expression of art in a way that communicate, you know, our social emotions and, and, and what, and that social emotion that I want to hit is really like fun and happiness. Yeah, man. And I feel like a lot of people, especially in your position, the position to produce these, these sort this sort of content and get it in front of networks or get it anywhere that it could be seen. I mean, we're, we're seeing it a lot more. But, you know, and when we were growing up and, and that sort of age, like we never saw people like that that looked like us in, in sort of like even the fact that like Black Panther did so well and, you know, and, and just any sort of uh, superhero or fictional character, like they just never, ever looked like us. Like we could never just be like upstanding, good human beings. And, you know, there's right. many layers to us. It was like, you're Black, so you're this. You know what I'm saying? But I'm really glad that the content you're creating 
is not just opening up for athletes and being able to tell their stories, but just young black people in general and just being able to know like, hey, man, it's, it's deeper than whatever is on the surface, what's been fed to you your whole life, you know, because if you see one thing your whole life, you just conditioned to it. Right. And it's a lot of uh, unconditioning to create things that are very, uh, that, that make a lot of sense. And it, and in the long run, great, it, it does well and people watch it, but, you know, you're creating something that is instilled in young people that, you know, you don't have to be like this. You don't have to be seen as this sort of stereotype that's been put out there that you had right. nothing to do with. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's crazy. We went this long and didn't even talk hoops yet. So, uh, <laughs> I, I would know, love, yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit of hoops before I get you out of here. I know you're super busy, but, um, you know, you mentioned how much you love the Bay area and you love, uh, you know, playing for golden state and one of my favorite teams I've, I've I got to watch was that that Golden State team with you and Matt Barnes and Steven yeah. Jackson and you know Monte Ellis you know and that great eight to one uh, victory over the Dallas Mavericks in the Oracle Arena and how wild that was um, that kind of set the tone for what success looks like in the Bay what success looks like when when Oakland is popping the Golden uh-huh. State is popping take me back to those days as a Golden State Warrior and that specific playoff run against the Dallas Mavericks where in no uncertain terms, you you punk you punk the Mavericks. Like y'all punk them. Like how was it? They yeah, see I, they I, would, I would I wouldn't necessarily you know what it 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 is that's what people say we punked them. Uh-huh. We didn't punk them. We beat them playing basketball. Facts. We're smarter than them, we're quicker than them. We would just never get credit for it, right? We had better basketball players on the court. Our five basketball players on the floor always outnumbered their five. Even though Dirk is a Hall of Famer, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like a transcending player. You know what I'm saying? Like our five guys were better basketball players, smarter basketball players, more versatile basketball players hungrier basketball players, you know what I mean? And so a lot of times it was like people were like, oh, y'all thugged them or y'all play street ball. It was like, man, we was playing basketball. <laughs> watch the games, you know what I mean? Watch the games, watch the way we pass the ball, you know what I mean? Just watch like it takes a high level of intellect, a high level of skill. You have to practice a high level like that. You know what I mean? And an extreme level of confidence, you know what I mean? Not only in yourself, but in your teammates to know what you can and can't do. Because when you play at that type of speed and frequency, you know what I mean? Like the volatility of the game is like highs and lows. So you can be down 15 just as much as you can be up 15 and be ready to blow them out. But even though you're down 15, you know that you can get back into the game. You know what I mean? But it's like... Yeah you really playing in a space where it's like, it's so volatile, you know what I mean? That the middle could be, the middle is even more pressure because it's, it's just a scare. You know what I mean? Cause you know, we two down six and you know, we used to always say on the road, if we down six with four minutes to go, Oh, we going to win. Cause we just two, two stops away, two threes from tying it up. And we got a nice chance to win at home. We want to be up six, you know? Um, and so it's just like when you start looking at the way we play, like we played at such a high level, but like we always shared the ball. We were always unselfish. It didn't matter who had the shot or who's going that night. You know what I mean? Uh, Jay Rich played out of position, but he played in position. Steven Jackson played out of position, but he played in position. Al Harrington played out of position, but he played in position. You know what I mean? Matt Barnes. Monte, et cetera, et cetera. And like, you know, imagine a world where it's me, Jay Rich, Monte, uh, Steven Jackson, and Matt Barnes all on the floor at the same time, right? And we're playing against the top team in the NBA. You gotta have like, you gotta have a certain type of like collective intellect, right? To even play with, you know, it's just like when you're dealing in that level in Dallas, they were a machine. You know what I mean? They're a machine. They were a system, and I I think that their system was built for them to go forward in these rounds to 
win the NBA championship that year. I think what happened was their system did not mess with the way we wanted to play. Right. You know what I mean? We right. had a mentality of like, you know what I mean? Fuck I was thinking about versatility as well. I mean, yeah, like, well, I was, yeah. yeah because every, when you look at everybody, it was everybody was built like the Detroit's, like the San Antonio's, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so with us, we were real, we were really like on some fight, uh, on some breakfast club shit. Right. <laughs> like we were the kids in detention that were just like, all right, dude, we're going to fucking win the spelling bee contest or the join the debate team and win because we're actually smart, just as smart as the geek club, glee club or whatnot. You feel yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, like, when the NBA had these structures, they was building, you know, you have to have a Paul Gasol, a Tim Duncan, a Kevin Garnett, a, you know what I mean? Right. Rasheed Wallace, one of them dudes to kind of anchor you. And, you know, we had Al Harrington, uh, Andres Beatrice was our center. You know what I'm saying? Um so for us, it was just like we were we were everything that was different about the system. So it was really like two systems colliding, and that wasn't a good good idea for the Dallas Mavericks because they could have played the uh, Los Angeles Clippers yeah. in the first round, but the Clippers, in in the way that they were structured, was structured to beat Dallas. Like right. they were a they were more so considered a tougher component, opponent, a tougher opponent, because you have the component of Cayman and, and Brand, two big guys, Cassell, Mobley, Maggetti. You had all those, you know what I mean? You had like the same type of uh, systematic structure that Dallas had. So it seemed like, yo, we're going to get into a slugfest with these dudes, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because, you know, they play slow down basketball, play through the four. They, you know, our styles are like not the same, but whoever can get hot, we can beat the Clippers because we faster than them, right? I almost feel like I almost feel like I would watch y'all team, and that specific Warriors team feels like they could have played just as well in twenty twenty because it was like a lot of versatility. I, sure. I mean, you, I think our team was built. I think our team was ahead of its time and it was built for more like this day and age. You know what I mean? Um, just thinking about, you know, the Warrior teams, how we would match up against them, how we would match up against the Cleveland. It was just like we were we were dedicated. We had a dedicated person, you know what I mean? Uh, and really like a man and a half because we were all so versatile to play at any position, right? And, you know, we are a mismatch problem all over the floor, you know, at every position. So it was hard to, like, just kind of key on one person. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think in this era, it would have been a lot uh, more free-flowing for us, you know what I mean, to play at a high frequency. But back then, you know, you're running into teams that are bigger than you that just ain't having that shit. They just don't want to run. You know what I mean? (laughs) It was a different game. You can't get the rebound. It's like, it'd be nice like that. So, you know, we were, uh, you know, we were just always fighting the uphill battle because of our size. And because of the way we play, but, you know, we had so much fun playing like that. And we got so much smarter as basketball players, understanding, you know, how to read defenses, how to read offenses, how to, like, take advantage of the game, understanding when the team is out of sync, you know, uh, understanding moments, right? How critical moments could really, like, set us up for the end to be able to win or, you know, uh, get hot, you know what I mean? And so I think, you know, just kind of like that style and that culture and, you know, one, getting back to the playoffs and breaking that curse. Because, you know, people in the Bay Area thought that they were cursed and we would never get back to the playoffs. So when we got to the playoffs, it was almost like we won the championship. And <laughs> we beat Dallas, you know what I mean? It was like for sure we won the championship. So it was almost like, you know, the um, – like the beauty and the beast thing, like the beast was no more like an ugly beast. Like, you know what I mean? Like playing in Oakland was no more like an ugly thing or like a graveyard. Um, You know, I remember when I walked in there the first week I got traded there, uh, they were like, yo, you know, so what do you feel about the first week? I said, I feel like it's a cemetery, dude. And, you know, like we just got to get fired up and motivated about shit, just loving the play no matter what the politics are like 
we getting 17,000 people at the 16,000 people at the game. And like the Warriors is all, have always sucked. You know what I mean? So like, <laughs> but it's 16,000 people in here. You know what I, mean? I come from places. I was coming from places where we'd be lucky to get 18. You know what I mean? And we were terrible. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like, you know, I looked in, in that arena and was like, yo, it's cracking in here. How can we not, you know what I mean, go out and get busy? You know, because they're going to come back. And I was like, yo, if we can win here, man, I'm telling you, this place is going to erupt. And I think that's what kind of like spearhead, you know, people start looking at Golden State as like, yo, that could be a dope franchise. And start, you know, um, just the ownership moved in, management moved in. They start looking at, you know, doing the right things. They start bringing the right people in and, and, and created that right atmosphere and energy. And I think that what we were, what we did was we kind of like, we kind of broke the mold, right? That, that we're not losers. You know what I mean? We broke that mold. And yeah. even though we beat Dallas, we came back, we didn't make it the next year and everybody kind of broke up. It just showed you that they were still used to losing. But it's you know it's funny because it's like <clears throat> that one team, and you know, and I, and I always hearken back to like you seen the Fab Five documentary with, with Jalen Rose, right? Yeah. And he was like, "You can't tell me who won the championship that year. You can't tell me what team beat us that year. But you remember that team. You remember that Golden State Warriors yeah. team. Remember that Michigan team." Um, and you, you mentioned about how that the way that team was put together, I would like to just hear about you specifically because I feel like, you know, like you said, this team was built to compete in 2020, but I feel like your skill set, skill set specifically when it comes to being an explosive guard and the league is a lot more wide open now and you can't really hand check and, you know, what? who do you, you know, when you look at the, the league right now, how do you see yourself performing in 2020 when you see guys like Russell Westbrook and, you know, and, and Harden and, and, and even young D Rose and some of these guys, you were, you were kind of like the mold for a lot of these guards. Yeah. I just wish I never got hurt like that. You know what yeah. I mean? I wish my body would have held up. It's funny. Like how now I feel so much stronger than I did when I was 30, you know <laughs> what I mean? And playing, but I just think that, you know, when I came in, I came in in an era where it wasn't cool to be hurt and you always played hurt, right? And, like, you played hurt as a way to survive, to make it out because there was no tomorrow, there was no fallback. Right. And I think now, you know, these kids have so many options. They're already stars. Their path is lit. You know what I mean? And they're allowed to have the freedom to be whoever they want where, you know, before you had to be buttoned up, you had to, like, it was all the don'ts, the don'ts, the don'ts, right? And so kind of had to break that mold. Um, but I think that if I play in this era, man, I'd be I, – I mean, I, 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 I one, would, would only say that I would be my own original person, you know what I mean, and my own original player. So, you know, uh, not – I mean, I probably wouldn't average a triple-double, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> but I'd be somewhere – you know, definitely top, you know, top five in steals and assists. Like, you know, t- steals and assists and, and <laughs> up there in points from point guards. Uh, uh, you know, I play defense too, so. Speaking of which. I still feel I can play, though. I still I feel like I can average, like, 10 points, 10, 10 points off the bench or something, five. I mean, you know I'm a Knicks guy, so, like, even on your last legs, you still had some of them games. I was like, yo, BD still got yeah, some in there. getting down, bro. I was <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, you know, as long as you can dribble. That's why I tell my kids at four and five, I'm like, yo, if you can dribble, yo, and you can pass the ball, like, you, know, yeah. you can play a long time. You know what I mean? Other than that, just learn how to make some layups and, and, and get a jumper that look decent and go <laughs> in. If it look cool, if it look cool when you shoot it, you got confidence, it'll go in. Hell yeah. Uh, I, I listened to the Knuckleheads podcast, and uh, – they had Dwayne Wade on the episode, uh, future Hall of Famer Dwayne Wade. And they said, they always asked these players, who was the first person to really bust my ass? And D Wade said, Baron Davis gave me the drugs the first time we played each other. Um, yeah. <laughs> tell me about giving D Wade the drugs 
And I would love to know who was the first person in the NBA to bust your ass. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal it. I'm gonna steal a joint. Who was the first person to give you the business? Yeah, I said it on the show. I was like, uh, you know, John Stockton was like the first person to really give me like a real rude awakening. You know what I mean? And it was just like, I mean, it wasn't nothing but just like pure disrespect. Because <laughs> he kept stealing the ball. And I was just like, why is this fool keep stealing the damn ball from me? I'm about to get out. You know, I'm coming off the bench too. And the yeah. last thing you can do is have two turnovers in a row, let alone three. And like, man, job was sitting on the bench. I was like, man, he ain't that good. I got in the game. I was like, bloop, 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 bloop. I was like, uh... <laughs> Maybe he is. <laughs> that dude was everywhere all over the floor. I mean, and you talking about an engineer. He was an engineer, dude. Mm-hmm. Realize like he's 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 so much in control that whatever you think you're doing. It's not disrupting what he's doing because all he's trying to do is get there and then get there. It's there. <laughs> it's a 90% chance we're going to get a good field goal. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's yeah. like, and I just remember like, dude, I'm just going to pressure him, pick him up. You know what I mean? Full court. And he just like fundamentally walk me down the court like you teach a kid. You know what I mean? When people's pressing you, get to the elbow, hold his dribble, right? Fake the uh, wave the dude out the post, then call Carmelo over for a pick and roll, right? It's <laughs> like, oh shit, dude! I not and and before you can think about it, you're looking around and you're like, shit! How did he get this much space? Yeah, he literally did nothing. <laughs> figured out how to get me off of him, get me to get himself as close as he possibly could to where I felt comfortable enough that he wasn't going to do anything. Yeah. He did something. And then you're in this moment of like, oh shit. <laughs> and then when he catches you in that moment, he has you at his mercy. And it was just like, damn, dude, he did it again. <laughs> like, it was just like, he was a surgeon, bro. He was a surgeon. John Stockton is one of my all, all, all-time favorite point guards. He's like, you know, definitely top three on that list for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Real for real. He was Hell yeah, man. That's that. That's a great story because I feel like people always watch. Like you know, you know how young fans are. They look at John Stockton like, "Oh, John Stockton, he'd be nothing in the NBA now." Da, 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 da. And then you hear a story from you, and it's like, no, he was that dude in the NBA right now. What's up? He would murder the NBA right now. Mm. <laughs> he would murder the NBA right now, dude. Facts. You understand? Big yeah. facts. <laughs> Whatever is like four or five, like easily four or five steals a game. He was so like. I always thought he was just so fucking sneaky. Like, he just always seemed like he was always getting away with an extra little elbow, an extra little tug, an extra little something. But next thing you know, you look up, he has like four steals, 12 assists, four threes. Like, what? Bro. <laughs> and he was a bucket Bro. from deep, too. Bro, he was <laughs> he was an a, a, a engineer, a mm. mathematician, <laughs> a, uh, an uh, uh, astrologer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you feel me? Like, oh, dude, he was like, his shit was on a whole nother level, bro. Don't get me started. <laughs> John Stockton. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bring don't you. Don't get me started story. about John Stockton. <laughs> John Stockton. I don't want to bring him that. Let's bring you back to a positive dude. place. Hey, hey John place. Stockton is a man. I'm just <laughs> incredible, bro. Just incredible. Like, you know what I mean? Like, nothing less of incredible, Uh, right? And when you watch basketball and you want to watch, like, somebody who can get down, John Stockton can get down. He know how to – man, he just – he mastered the game. Mm -hmm. Man. He mastered the game. He mastered – 
is like, you know what I mean? It's like, there's some people, you know, like, especially for point guards. Yeah. Like, you know, I I fan out over point guards, even though, like, you know, it's supposed to be rivals, but I watch, like, all point guards. And to me, like, point guards are like, you know, they're artists. I always relate them to, like, artists or, like, you know, like, certain, like, an engineer or something like that, because it's just, you know, it's all about, like, how they kind of, wine and weave everything into a place when you're watching, you know, a Rod Strickland and how he get down. You yeah. know what I mean? You're watching a Nick Van Exel and his get down. You feel what I'm saying? Like, you start, you know, you start really start watching, like, Derrick Rose and you can appreciate, you know, all the things and all the attributes that he have and you start saying, okay, like, damn, dog, I like how he paint. Like, he get down. You know what I mean? Do you have a favorite point guard you like to watch right now? Um, I like what. Of course, I like watching Steph Curry. Yeah, I like watching James Harden and Russ. Uh, I still like watching Chris Paul. I like the kid Shy Glizzy. I like watching Trey Young. Um, who else do I like? Dame Lillard. I love Dame Lillard. Uh, love Dame Lillard. I love Kimball Walker. I love his get down. Uh, I like De'Aaron Fox, you know, when he playing, when he free, you know what I mean? When he just free and exploring. I love Alonzo Ball game. You know, I just, I, you know, Drew Holiday, that's my youngin. Mm-hmm. I think Alonzo Ball is like, uh, like he a, he an artist. He can paint too, you know what yeah. I mean? And I can't wait to see like, like once he become the heart of the point guard shit is like once some, some like it's like the hardest position to play because you got to quarterback in the NFL everybody yeah and so now you seeing him with Zion and some people around you gonna start seeing him you know I think do some amazing things um so, I mean I, I, I what other point guards is it in the league I mean you can you name them and I will tell you like. You know, I mean, we got we got Kyle Lowry. Lowry. What do you think? Of, what do you think of Ben Simmons? At point? I love Ben Simmons, dude. Mm. I love Ben Simmons. Big guard, like he he's the deal. Yeah, he's I mean, the deal. He's the deal. You know what good. I mean? He's the deal. Like he's a point guard. You know what I mean? Yeah, like he's literally a point guard. You know what I mean? Well, still, like Carl Malone, six <laughs> ten. You know what I'm saying? So, I like I like his game. I think that you know he got he got more he got more in him, and it's more to come from him. Um, who else do I like? Shit, I'm trying to think what teams is out there. <laughs> Man, I mean, he got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love, I love Lou Will. He's not your traditional point guard, but he a bucket. Yeah, Lou Will not a point guard though. Yeah, he just he just game like it's he's a guy. Go, go get me a bucket, Lou. I, like, I like watching Pat, Patrick Beverly too. Yeah, I like Pat Bev. I like Pat. I like. Bev. I just like how he get down. Mm-hmm. I like Devontae Graham. He's nice. I mean, so what? What's what you think about a guy like Nikola Jokic? Who's not necessarily a point guard, but he a he a he a magician too. He an artist too. He just oh, you mean the big dude. Big dude from Denver, yeah. Yeah, the Joker. Oh, yeah, he's sick, yo. <laughs> he's Jeez. sick. He's super sick. Oh, he's yeah. super sick. Like, he's my, he's he's gonna be my favorite ball player to watch. Bro, he is big time fucking talent. Oh, yeah. You need one more person with him. Yeah, and Denver's nice, too. I think Michael Porter Jr., when he gets when he puts it Michael all together. Michael Porter is nice. Michael Porter nice. But I think Denver, they need one more. They need, like, a they need a animal yeah somebody who like has the ability to like go unconscious you know mm-hmm. what i mean mm-hmm. they do mm-hmm. that i feel like they're waiting for like jamal murray to be that jokers do everything bro yeah he do everything jamal murray is i like his game too he hella dynamic but i'm talking about like you gotta like there needs to be a, a they don't have a they need an x factor you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but it's hard being in Denver, though, because it's like cool it's hard to get people to go. Like if they had like a Lou Will, you know what yeah. I mean, or somebody like that, just somebody that was just like just a stone cold killer. You know what yeah. I mean? Like somebody who's just used to coming into the game, 
and just doing whatever the fuck they want, right? <laughs> and I think Denver has a lot of great players, a lot of great talent. They don't have nobody on their team that can do what they want when they want to do it, right? right? That's the only thing that's separating Denver from, you know, potentially getting to the Western Conference Finals and the championship. It's like you got to be able to be like, you got to have that dude be like, yo, give me the ball. Give yeah. it to me, dog. Yeah. Cool. Get out the way. Oh, it's a double team. I'm not tripping. Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. You gotta have you gotta have that with him. You know what I mean? Like or somebody with like that that mentality, right? Like that tooth and nail, like like that go to somebody who was just born to take big shots and 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 and, and get money. Right, I think that's what Denver is missing. I think that's the only thing that they're missing. Right. All right, man. So, I mean, last thing I want to ask before we get out of here. Obviously, the NBA season's in flux. We don't know if it's coming back, when it will. But at the time we got held up, you mentioned it. Denver, they still need one more guy. Lakers still out there. Clippers out there. Rockets are starting to figure it out with like this small ball sort of thing. Who do you have coming out of the West and coming out of the East if they figure it out in the next couple of months and we get back to basketball? Uh, first and foremost, just want everybody to come out of this, uh, you know, 100% healthy. You yeah. know what I mean? Wishing that we can get back, you know, to our lives, get back to these arenas, get back to practices, you know, just kind of like consuming the game and the sport that we love, you know, uh, I think it's been shit well, well more than enough time for us to reflect on our appreciation for the things and the gifts that God has given us in the industries that we're in. And so, you know, right now I don't really care about no championship. I just really want to see um, the NBA and the players get back and get back in a rightful and, you know, healthy space and not be rushed. You know what I mean? Because, it's just a beautiful thing and a special thing, uh, you know, what we do and the game that we're a part of, you know what I mean, and the game we have been a part of and still allowed to be a part of. And so it's like basically it's like uh, the way I look at All-Star Weekend is a family reunion. Just mm-hmm. can't wait to see, like, my brothers and everybody else getting back to doing what they do and, and, and enjoying what they do. Hell yeah. All of us too, man. All of Thank us Thank you, too. man. I appreciate it, man. Of course. So before we get out of here, you want to talk about the uh, business and inside the game power summit and uh, putting that oh, together. Man. Yeah, I've been, I've been on this for a minute. I got to go take care of these kids. Yeah. Uh, we have to do part two business inside the game. I actually have you on my podcast, business inside the game. Let's do it. Uh, you know, and uh, business inside the game is for entrepreneurs uh, advice for entrepreneurs, investors, people trying to, you know, uh, further their career and creative and business, just listening to some of the people who are out there fighting the fight, walking the walk, talking the talk. And it's really, uh, you know, that I, again, is for inside, right? It's like, we want to be inside the business of sports, inside the business of basketball and tech, uh, commerce, uh, finance, things like that, and be able to give tools, and opportunities to the 99% that the 1% will have. So that's pretty much what we're doing. And we're talking about it right now over live stream on the podcast. And, uh, you know, we have some great guests, some great entrepreneurs at different phases, different stages of their companies. And so, you know, for me, it's, it's better to give them a platform than to like write a book about shit that I don't know. So yeah, it's better <laughs> to hear it from the expert's mouth, man. And that's why I created uh, business inside the game. So I appreciate you for letting me talk about that. Uh, appreciate you having me on the show, man. BD, you're a legend. Thank, Thank you so you much, much for coming through. I know, I know we, we only promised 30 minutes. No, you then they gave me an hour, bro. And I'm always grateful for it. All right. Can't wait till all this is over so we can get up and uh, catch up again, man. More power to you. My best of the family. All right, love. And that's a wrap on today's episode of Say Less. You can always subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you want to watch this video in its entirety, go to youtube.com slash Kazim. That was Baron Davis. You can catch him on 
WTF Baron Davis. You can catch him with Slick, No Label, Black Santa Project. Watch some old games. We all watch old games if this coronavirus thing blows over. But anyway, this is Kaz. Appreciate you listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Say less.